You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Welcome into The Weekly Brew. I'm Austin Statton, joined this week by Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton. This is actually the 22nd episode and our final podcast for the calendar year. Guys, I've enjoyed coming together once a week to discuss a wide variety of topics. And as we close out 2015, what are your thoughts on how the podcast has been through the first 22 episodes? Well, I'd have to say it's the best podcast that's ever been made, uh, except for The Dollop, which is my personal favorite podcast. Um, I think that we have killed it. We've exceeded expectations. Uh, we've gotten into the really good stories, and we've uh, we just blown them wide open. So I could not be more impressed with myself and my performance, uh, and I appreciate you guys sort of being satellites to my success. So, Kevin, I think once you get over your lack of confidence, I think you're going to be just okay. I know. It's always held me back that I just don't believe in myself enough, but uh, this is really helping, so I appreciate that, guys. Hey, anything we can do to stroke that ego, we, we definitely... Uh, are here to help you out. So, uh, Jeremy, what about you? This podcast, to me at least, uh, as long as Kevin's been on here, has just been a, an effort to build his self esteem, which I see we've done in spades. So, um, I, I uh, no, I, um, I've, I've loved doing this uh, over the past year. I've really, I've really enjoyed contributing as much as I can or as I, I could after the podcast. And uh, we have hit some some stories and um, uh, that that were impactful, particularly to Houstonians and. Um, people who have a passion for sports. So um, I, I honestly, I'm, I'm really eager to see where this goes. And I uh, couldn't, couldn't be more thankful to be podcasting with, uh, with you guys. Kind of switching gears here for a minute. The past few weeks, we've had musical guests on. We've talked movies. Uh, this week, we're going back to our roots. We're actually going to bring on Adam Coleman, who is a sports writer here in Houston. Definitely give him a follow on social media. Uh, you can find him at underscore Coleman Sports. And we'll, again, we'll dive into that a little bit later. We're going to talk Texans, Rockets, and uh, even the Texas Bowl. Uh, but we definitely... Uh, want you to stay tuned for that. Also, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, We Desserts. If you're trying to plan a New Year's party, go ahead and check them out. They're at 3411 Kirby here in Houston. And also, when it comes to social media, you can find us on there. Search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Definitely love interaction. Leave us some feedback. Tell us what you like about the show, what you don't like, and uh, we'll take that advice and we'll definitely work it into our show. That's a maybe. That's if it's good advice, we'll work it into the show. We've had some bad advice too, um, like that one guy. Uh, what I'd like to call him, we don't say here because it's a clean podcast, but uh, who suggested that we uh, drum up some controversy or disagreements, whether or not we actually had disagreements, because it makes for better listening. So, to that guy, thanks for listening. Uh, but that's that's about really all that we're willing to thank you for. We uh, we're true to ourselves here, and. Uh, uh, you know, we appreciate that you guys enjoy us uh, as our real people, and we're not going to fake things in order to make this more controversial or incendiary. When it comes to controversy, I mean, uh, I, I don't know how much, you know, I don't know how much arguing that we can actually have when, you know, reviewing Concussion or reviewing Star, Star Wars. I mean, I don't know, maybe we should have brought a, a Trekkie on and, uh, you know, just gone at it that way. But I, I don't think that's who we are. I mean, I think we're going to look at all of the issues at hand and kind of give our opinions. I mean, I think we have, uh, you know, Kevin who comes from the left, uh, Jeremy who comes from the right. And I mean, if, if we get into those subjects, we're going to get into them, but we're, by no means are we going to force uh, argumentation here on the podcast. It's not what we're about. But uh, in the meantime, we do actually have a pack show on deck for you. And it's episode 22 of the weekly brew podcast. So as usual, it's time to sit back, grab a drink, listen, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. All the time, we would be sending Ashley Manning drugs, like a growth hormone, all the time, everywhere. Florida. That's it, it would never be under Peyton's name. It would always be under her name. We're sending it everywhere. Like, <laughs> we're going to go to Florida. 
So that audio that you just heard came from what some media pundits are calling, quote, an explosive documentary linking Peyton Manning to human growth hormones. And Al Jazeera was actually the media outlet behind it. And guys, I know we discussed this a little bit before we started recording today, but if we're talking about Peyton Manning and HGH, I'm not sure that this documentary is explosive at all. In fact, I think a lot of these claims brought up by Al Jazeera just show poor reporting at best. And I know, Kevin, you had some strong opinions about this. If you can, let's go and enlighten the audience. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. It's not that interesting. So it basically follows around this British hurdler, uh, a former, I I don't know if you can be a pro hurdler, but a former Olympic athlete, uh, Liam Collins. And he, they give him um, a backpack with some cameras in it. And he basically just goes and hounds these people that have reputations for um, providing, you know, uh, banned substances to professional athletes. And they're not even necessarily high level guys either. So he's just carrying this backpack around, basically very ham handedly trying to uh, get people to say or do things on camera that would you know indict them and um, so it mostly revolves around this guy Charlie Sly who has a great name for this line of work um, and during the uh, the course of the documentary he tries to get Liam Collins to invest in um, a business venture he's putting together so he's he's throughout the whole thing trying to impress him with these names that he has and he's just throwing names against the wall um, all of them are listed on HuffPo which I thought was kind of irresponsible but my impression ultimately is that a this is a poor journalistic job there's there's really no um sources there's one source essentially and he could be lying the entire time i'm of the opinion that he was uh and he's doing it to impress this guy to try to get him to buy into this business to basically make it look like he has these connections so since this documentary has come out um uh, charlie sly has recanted everything he said and basically in what a statement that i think is accurate said you know i was just trying to uh pump this guy up i was trying to you know get him to invest Uh, i was trying to see who he knew and like how involved he was and i think that that reads as true to me but if you watch these sequences you know they're like in a car driving through texas for some reason and uh lim collins is just throwing names against the wall to see if he knows him and every single one of them like you know like clay matthews he's like oh yeah i just got a text from clay matthews charlie slice like i as he as he's asked about him he's like yeah he just texted me a minute ago so it just seems like absolute horse hockey and um and and there's no uh extra verification it's really just this one guy charlie sly who has since recanted his story so i don't understand people are calling it explosive um i I, these people must not have seen it or or must be a lot more gullible than i am uh, because there's really nothing explosive about it they mention peyton tangentially um they say that a lot of stuff was sent to his wife uh peyton actually came out himself and, and had a statement in which he denied things categorically um he said the allegation that i would do something like that is complete garbage and it's totally made up never happened never i really can't believe somebody would put something like this on air whoever said this is making stuff up and that's that's peyton personally that's not through um uh you know representative so some of the other athletes that appeared in um or were named in this video actually did release statements through agents things like that uh and then poor taylor teagarden who i guess was a cubs catcher um a couple of years ago actually is the only athlete that appears in this video he's hanging out with this guy charlie slide talking about his substance abuse um, particularly banned substances and it's not going to go well for him he's he's pretty much dead to rights but honestly he's the only one of the athletes named that i think really um if there's anything that's actually condemning or, or indicting about this documentary towards so uh you know i think that this is a much ado about nothing sort of situation and uh and peyton manning um you know I, i'm not so gullible as to think that people 
uh, even people in high positions don't do these things. But but he does strike me. Maybe I'm being naive as a guy who really wouldn't um, sort of dip his feet into those muddy waters. And uh, and I believe him when he says that he is uh, he is uh, innocent here. The report from Al Jazeera said that Peyton Manning received shipments of human growth hormone in 2011 while he was covering from uh, the neck surgeries that he had when he was with the uh, Indianapolis Colts. And uh, you know, just for the record, uh, there was no HGH testing in the NFL back then. Um, but you know, I, I I think it was funny today. There was a tweet going around uh, showing Peyton Manning in the Broncos locker room with his shirt off, and uh, the commentary was, "If uh, if Peyton Manning is on HGH, then all of our dads are on HGH as well." <laughs> So I, I just thought it was a little bit comical, but you know I do believe Peyton Manning in this in this issue. I think that uh, I'm not sure that Al Jazeera is a reputable source, and I think they were trying to make a stretch here. And it bothers me that they uh, didn't do their due diligence and only went for one source. I mean, I think that's the number one rule of journalism is that you have to have multiple verifications from your sources, uh, and that's something that Al Jazeera failed on miserably. And I think uh, after watching a lot of the NFL pregame shows on Sunday morning. A lot of people also think that these claims are complete, uh, you know, bogus and that have no validity to them whatsoever. But one of the questions that I have for you guys is you'll remember that several years ago, uh, there was a famous cyclist who won seven Tour de France's who was accused of doping. And uh, many people said, no way, no way Lance Armstrong could do that. He's a hero for the cancer community. Uh, and then finally, what was it, two years ago, he confessed to Oprah Winfrey that he he did dope. And uh, during that time, he actually slandered many, many people. Uh, and Peyton Manning, I don't think, is going that route. But with Lance Armstrong, you know, being confirmed as a dopist, I'm wondering if it has any impact on Peyton Manning and whether or not he is a trustworthy type of an athlete. Well, I mean, consider there, there is a big difference there, which is one, Lance Armstrong went on the offensive, like you said, slandering people, ruining people's careers and reputations, and basically trying to cast off all the shade that he was having thrown at him, versus Peyton Manning, who just said, this is garbage. It's not true. It's absolutely, absolutely factually false. Um, and so I think that one reads, you know, like someone who has something to hide and one doesn't. Um, also, Lance Armstrong was a noted scumbag even before there was uh, confirmation of his doping. And I, I think that's maybe one of the least scummy things about Lance Armstrong personally. I don't have the moral issue with, with doping that I think a lot of people do. Um, but yeah, so I think that it's a radically different situation. Peyton Manning, of all people, seems like a, a guy who just doesn't need to, sure. Like the sort of guy that just from looking at him, the outside looking in, doesn't... Um, wouldn't be involved in shady stuff. I mean, you mentioned like his body type. That's one thing to look at. He's just in every conceivable way, like your standard dad type. And I just, I don't see him, you know, these late night meetings, uh, getting injected by these shady people. It seems like something he would just be uncomfortable with. And he's been talented to the level that it's just not necessary. So I think there's a radical difference and you can kind of see it play out in the way they're responding to these allegations, Lance uh, versus Peyton Manning. Um, I would like to read you, this is uh, from Al Jazeera's site. You know, I watched the whole video. It's called the dark side, by the way. I think that may be like an illusion to Star Wars to try to uh, cash in on some of the publicity that's getting. Um, and it's 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 horrible. It's really not well done at all. And they keep alluding to it and forcing in this idea of like sports' dark side. And it's a very like, you know, um, black, white sort of look at, at what athletes do. And I, I think the, the truth uh, and the morality of it's much more nuanced than that. But they actually say on their own site uh, about their investigative unit, Al Jazeera's investigative unit does not report the news. It makes the news. I'm going to read that back to you. Our investigative unit does not report the news. It makes the news. 
Is there a philosophical statement from a purportedly journalistic um, outfit that could possibly be more worrisome to you? Two other names that were mentioned, as Kevin kind of alluded to earlier, uh, were two baseball players, uh, specifically Ryan Howard and Ryan Zimmerman. Uh, they released a statement earlier today from their uh, William Burke, who was attorney for both of the uh, the baseball players. It's inexcusable and irresponsible that Al Jazeera would provide a platform and broadcast outright lies about Mr. Howard and Mr. Zimmerman. The extraordinarily reckless claims made against our clients in this report are completely false and rely on a source who has already recanted his claims. We will go to court to hold Al Jazeera and other responsible parties accountable for smearing our clients' good names. It's kind of interesting. Al Jazeera started here in the United States uh, with their American arm of their news wing several years ago, and they haven't been able to take off. And so it's kind of disheartening to see an organization uh, like this go to such lengths and have such shoddy reporting. I mean, if they're trying to build a reputation, this is not the way to do it. And I would like to point out one important facet of this story is that Charlie Sly, all of this revolves around, at least the Peyton Manning tie, revolves around him being at the Geyer Institute in 2011, which is actually um, an institute that Peyton Manning was affiliated with per um, the Indianapolis Colts uh, doctors is in Indiana, I believe. And um, and so he, he actually is tied to that. But Sly was at the Geyer Institute as an unpaid student intern for three months in 2013, not 2011 when Peyton was there. So his claims of having any contact with Manning or any knowledge about it are false. And of course, he himself recanted and actually made that clear. So again, this is just one guy that was pushed into this by Al Jazeera with a backpack camera filming a guy who's lying about his own career and reputation in order to enhance his business opportunities. And I think it's cut and dry as that. I mean, it, it reads very clearly to me just watching the documentary. So I think all of the commentary surrounding this about it being explosive or really making a difference has a lot to do with people having not seen it, maybe reading like the HuffPo headline, because um, it, it may seem damning from a distance. But when you dig into it, there's nothing there, I don't think. The bigger problem with this guy's story is that, Kevin, as you pointed out, there's a time difference in when Peyton was there and when this guy was actually working there. That would make it not very likely that he would have any true insider information about what Peyton was getting or not getting while he was there. So I don't, I mean, I'm looking here at his story and the the HuffPo article and some of the other articles about it. He just, it just doesn't hold a whole lot of water. Um, you know, this, if, as you guys were saying earlier, this, this does not reflect well on uh, the quote newsmakers um, that are trying to peddle this as some sort of explosive story. You know, I've been a student intern before, and do you know how much I knew about the organizations I was working for? Probably Virtually nothing. nothing. Exactly right. Yeah. So, I mean, he inflated his own position there with the Geyer Institute. I Even from, from listening to this, if you watch the video, they paint, I think Dale Geyer is the guy's name. They paint him as like a very shadowy sort of figure. I've been doing some reading online. There's nothing to suggest that that's the case, which is why he has this open relationship. That's a poor choice of words. That's why he has this relationship that he has with the Indianapolis Colts, because he is, uh, you know, above board and not something that anybody's really worried about. So I, I think that Charlie Sly, um, I almost feel bad for this guy because I don't, I don't actually have like a moral problem with what he absolutely is doing. And there is evidence that he has lots of banned substances and is um, trafficking them. He actually has his, uh, his fall guys, what he calls them. I think his name's Brad and something deliver these things to the journalist quote unquote, that's uh, doing the story. So Charlie Sly is in some trouble now um, for sure. I think there'll be some fallout for him, but he's just, you know, throwing, 
throwing things against the wall and seeing if they stuck with this guy. And and I think that he probably assumed um, if there was going to if there was some sort of a story here, if somebody was writing about this, that they would actually do some fact checking and that this wouldn't come out because he had a quote. He said, "I'm amazed at how far this has gotten." Because I think he, like any reasonable person, assumed that if anybody did any looking into this, that there wouldn't be enough for it to hold up, and and there really isn't. So it's surprising that Al Jazeera has run with this story, and it's surprising that it has the legs it has. I think it'll disappear soon, uh, and it'll be an embarrassment for the organization. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Now joining us on The Weekly Brew is our first return guest, Adam Coleman. You might have remembered him from a few weeks back. We spoke about everything from the Rockets to the Astros to the Texans. And Adam, it's good to have you on after for our last podcast of 2015. How are you doing this week? I'm doing great, man. You said our first return guest. Uh, I'm honored uh, to be the first return guest. I appreciate you guys having me back on. It's always nice to have a Houston sports perspective and uh, you know, when we first spoke to you, we had talked about how the Texans were a complete disaster. And right now, it seems that the Texans are bound for the playoffs. What has happened with this team? And it's so funny. Uh, you, you talk about last time we spoke, they were a complete disaster. And now they got a chance to go to the playoffs. I mean, first and foremost, the defense is, has paced this team. Uh, the defense turned the season around single-handedly. And this team is personally, I mean, but... I mean, you can look at it two different ways. On one hand, it's a team that's been led by the defense and uh, has persevered uh, no matter what's happened at quarterback. But on the other hand, it's, you know, the fact that they played the Titans, you know, they played the Colts uh, without Andrew Luck, and the schedule is kind of softened. People going to look at the schedule, look at the division that they had to win, that they had the chance to win, and they won't believe in them, but... I mean, I look at it, man, the Texans are just as hamstrung as any team in the league, um, considering what's happened at quarterback, considering what's happened with this offensive line, reshuffling the whole season, considering what's happened with Aaron Foster, uh, just considering the ups and downs that this team has been through. It's been an impressive season. I still think no matter what happens this year, there are major issues with this team that, that have to be that have to be addressed. And it's not just quarterback. You know, there are problems at running back, Problems with uh, offensive line. There's still some major issues that this team has to address, no matter what happens this season, uh, short of a Super Bowl or short of an AFC Championship appearance. But no matter what happens, they they got to address some things. But considering everything that's happened, uh, you got to tip your cap to this team, just because at one point they were getting blown out by Atlanta, Miami, and I'm like, they need to press the reset button. And now all of a sudden they got a chance to host a home playoff game, and that's pretty incredible. And what about Brandon Whedon? I mean, that guy came into today's game with an 11-game losing streak. Uh, his last win as a starting quarterback came in 2012. I mean, that's three seasons, two organizations ago. And today he comes out, throws for 200-plus yards with a quarterback rating at around 110. I mean, just what what about the Texans this year has allowed them to start five different quarterbacks and still be a playoff team? It's amazing because he probably knows I'm just guessing, you know, I'm on the outside looking in, but he probably knows a quarter or maybe half of the playbook. <laughs> you know, he, he does not he does not know the whole thing like Brian Hoyer does. So that's what made it today impressive for, for, for him because he wasn't able to do anything like what he did today at Dallas or at his previous stop. And, of course, it's the Titans. You know, this is a Titans team that's going through a huge transition. Uh, they got issues, deeper issues than the Texans, you, you could say. But uh, with, with Whedon, man, I mean, he just came out. He made great throws. The touchdown throw he had to Nate Washington today was was uh, unbelievable. You know, and you throw it up the high 
Hopkins, you know, Hopkins is going to catch it. I don't care who's going at the Hopkins. Hopkins is going to catch it. But, uh, again, it goes back to the defense, man. You know, and that's, gonna, that's how they, if they are going to win this division and make the playoffs, that's how they're going to have to win in the playoffs. Play defense, run the ball well, and uh, score enough points. Don't make any mistakes. They can't afford any mistakes. And score enough points uh, to beat teams. You know, uh, they're going to have to score and hope that the defense can, it can hold on. It's kind of a mystery to me that Brandon Whedon even uh, fell to us. So what is what is it? What's going on over in Cowboys land there with Jerry Jones picking Castle uh, over Whedon and then him falling to us and being a perfectly serviceable quarterback? That just that seems like a, a like a misstep on their part. What do you think? I mean, it kind of does. I mean, I, I saw a tweet earlier that said, um, you know, maybe the Cowboys jumped the gun a little bit and and uh, you know went with Castle instead of Whedon. But I mean, at the same time, prior to the day or rather prior to last week, what did Wheaton show that, or what did he do that made you feel like, you know what, we should keep, we should hang on to this guy. Uh, you know, we, we gotta, we gotta believe in this guy. We should keep this guy. So he didn't, I don't think he did anything, you know, to, to make you believe in him or, or anything like that. This is a guy who's come in, who's, who's had a chance to restart. And you know what? The old adage goes, uh, sometimes a change of scenery can help a guy so much. And we see that, Kind of today with Ryan Mallett, who was a former Texas quarterback. Uh, what he did today for Baltimore against Pittsburgh looked like a totally different guy. You know, I saw a couple of jokes on Twitter, people saying this is what happens when you wake up on time and you get to work on time. But <laughs> you know, it's from from his perspective. I mean, it, it's a he looks like a totally different guy than what he looked like in a Texans uniform. And here's Brandon Wheaton looking like a totally different guy than what he looked like in a Cowboys uniform. And that and that speaks to the old adage. Sometimes a change of scenery is all a guy needs. And uh, that's probably worked out for Brandon Wheaton. And now people are talking about, well, you know, maybe the Texans should start Brandon Wheaton over Brian Hoyer because he's playing so well. You know, so it, it's, it's kind of amazing uh, amazing how things can change so quickly in the NFL. Adam, I, I'm, I'm sort of curious what you think is on the horizon for the Texans at the QB position. I mean, Houston is one of those teams that goes through QBs like Peyton Manning goes through HGH. Um, what do you think in terms of next year uh, might happen with the Texans? I heard some rumblings that RG3, uh, the, with the Redskins looking to trade him, that um, uh, he might be on the uh, on the docket for the Texans, potentially quarterback. Or uh, who, who do you who, who do you see coming to Houston? Or uh, do you see us sticking with our current um, batch? Well, yeah, you know, like I said, you know, I'm on the outside looking in, so I'm not sure what all is going to happen. But you said with RG3. Uh, I've heard that as well, you know, rumblings about uh, the Texans being in, in the position to kind of trade for him, being in the mix of trade for him, and I honestly wouldn't be surprised at that. That seems like the Texans' thing to do. Uh, I know earlier this season, uh, before Jay Cutler kind of started to come on, people were talking about, oh, you know, let's go get Jay Cutler, do all that good stuff, you know, and I, I'm not sure if that's a fit as well. Um, here's a tough thing. The Texans – Winning, and, you know, earlier I said, no matter what happens this year, the Texans still have a lot of work to do to retool this team. Um, they are going to be in no position, uh, from, from what I see, in my opinion, to pick a quarterback in the first round. And, you know, people get upset uh, when people say, hey, you know, just you know, go get a quarterback in the first round. People get upset because they feel like, you know, that's just a simple answer. That's too simple. Um, and sometimes – the simple answer is the answer. They need a quarterback. They need to do something at, in that position. Uh, it's been a revolving door for a long time. 
Um, and you can even throw Shab in there. It's been a revolving door. And they need to figure out who can take us, who can take the franchise. That's from this perspective. Who can take them to that next step? And I'm not sure that quarterback is in this draft. Maybe they are. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. But I'm not sure that that quarterback is in this draft. Uh, and when you're going to pick from where the Texans are picking, especially I'm not sure if that quarterback is in this draft. People talk about Connor Cook. He's impressive for sure. Jared Jared uh, Goff is impressive for sure. Uh, Paxton Lynch. I remember I was at a U of University of Houston press conference with Tom Herman, who uh, had nothing but great things to say about Paxton Lynch. Who's a, who has NFL size, and he looks like he could play on Sundays. But a guy like him, you know, he's going to be nowhere within the Texans' reach unless they're making trades or, or doing whatever they need to, do to, need to do to get him. Maybe there's some guy, somebody that drops in the second round, third round. I'm not sure. But I think, again, no matter what happens, they have to do something at, uh, at quarterback, and they have to figure it out. Um, and it's kind of a more of a it needs to happen sooner rather than later kind of thing. No matter what happens this year, um, they 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 can fix everything around the quarterback, but that still is long term and big picture. This team's and this franchise's biggest problem. And you know what? A lot of franchises can say that. A lot of franchises can, franchises can say, "Hey, quarterback is our biggest deal, our biggest issue." But with the Texans, even more so, they have to figure that out moving forward. Let's play hypotheticals here. Say that the uh, Houston Texans have the opportunity to trade J.J. Watt straight up for Aaron Rodgers. Would you make that call? That is tough, man. I don't think I would. Oh, man, straight up? I don't know. I don't think I would. You know, I don't, I don't know why. Because what you – I mean, J.J. is a once-in-a-generation type player. He's a guy that you want to see them – you want to see him finish his career in the Texans uniform. And he's done so great in this city – um, and you got a chance to have a guy that changes the perception of your of your of your franchise and changes the perception of your city in, in almost that way certainly. But uh, that's tough, man. That's really tough. I mean, that's certainly one I would have to out of court straight up if we're playing fantasy trading or something that you see out of Madden or some video game or something <laughs> like that. So that's that's really tough. But uh, I will say, you know, JJ is once in a lifetime, man. Once in a generation, just. I think I have never seen I have never seen an athlete um, take command of this city the way he has. And I'm going back to when I was a kid with Hakeem, uh, Craig Biggio, Jeff Backwell, um, Clyde Drexler, you, you know, throw, Steve Francis, anybody. You know, I, I, if Billy White Shoes Johnson with the Oilers take over the city the way that J.J. has. You can't drive 10 miles or 5 miles without being a billboard with his face on it. Adam, I'm kind of curious, on the subject of J.J. Watt, um, thinking about what the Houstons could trade for him if that indeed did happen. I've, I've heard from various people, you know, not, not anywhere close to the Texans, but people who feel like they're close to the team, that um, that J.J. is not good for the locker room chemistry, that, you know, it's kind of all about him. Do you Have you ever heard anything like that, or can you give any... Um, uh, give us something about what he does for the team, whether it's good or bad, uh, off the field. Funny how Americans and your average sports fan figure out figures out who they hate and who they like as far as sports figures. And um, I hear people hate JJ because he's like I don't know Superman like or just too perfect, you know, and it may come off as cheesy. But I think that's really him, you know. I think that's really him. Things that he does for children and. Staying out the practice, working hard, and uh, the things he does, giving back to the community, and 
you know, you can see him before games. He throws balls and plays catch with kids and everything. Uh, I mean, he is an all-around good guy. And just from the, the few times that I've been around the team, you can definitely see that. Team guy, all-around good guy. There's, like, very little bad you can say about him. Um, and I think it, it may rub some people the wrong way because, uh, you know, people may say, oh, you know, he's too perfect or maybe overexposure. I, I feel like athletes who get overexposed, people tend not to like them. Um, and But J.J. is for real. You know, that's really him. You know, that's from what I've seen. All-around good guy, nice guy. I've never heard anything bad about him, somebody you can relate to. He's a real deal as far as off the field. Let's shift gears here. I'm, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Adam, would be the uh, the Rockets, who have had just a really up-and-down season, something of a conundrum. And uh, so they win Christmas Day against the Spurs. I was in attendance of that game, and it was, uh, to quote Drew Barrymore, it was magical. And um, and I really thought they had something going on. And then all of a sudden, they turn around and lose the Pelicans by two. And so Bickerstaff had some things to say after that. Um, he said, uh, you know, we're turning into the ugly Rockets again. He says, over and over again, we've disrespected the game. Uh, winning's the only priority and he's going to not play guys that don't have that priority in mind, uh, doing the right thing he talks about. And uh, he kind of is, is sort of diagnosing uh, the problem the Rockets have as being one of, I guess, commitment to um, the game, to the process, uh, to winning. So, I mean, what what's your feeling about this team's trajectory? And, I mean, who do you think he's talking about in those veiled comments? Putting this Rockets season in just a sentence or a few words, they've beaten the Thunder, the Clippers twice, Spurs, um, teams like that. And they've lost to the Nets twice and the Nuggets twice, and they just lost to the Pelicans. Um, this team is bizarre world. I don't know how to uh, – it's a weird season. It is inconsistent, and I think um, the main culprit has been defense, of course. Uh, they're not anywhere near the defensive ball club they were last year. A lot of people want to put the blame on Howard and Harden. Um and, you know what, that's certainly valid. You know, those guys have to step up. Um, and, you know, in the case of Howard, I, I certainly believe he steps up. I certainly believe he does his thing. And, you know, Harden, I think people kind of question a little bit more. Is he a Hollywood star? Is he too worried about Adidas or the Kardashians or whatever it is? You know, but, I mean, it, it comes down to committing to defense. And this team has to hold itself accountable is there a real leader on this team? You know, and I think that's a big question. You know, is there a real leader on this team? Is there a guy who can rally this team and say, hey, listen, enough of this flip-flopping, inconsistent play, losing teams we shouldn't lose to. We have to get it in gear and get ready. Now, the way it stands right now, I think they're seventh in the West. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they made the playoffs and got hot at the right moment and won a playoff series. They're that kind of team because there's still a lot of talent on the team. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if they got swept in the first round. You just don't know You don't know what to expect from these guys, and you don't know kind of what the issue is. I think it's deeper than what we're seeing on TV and what we're seeing in the papers and, and, and things of that sort. I think it's a lot, a little bit deeper than that. But, um, you know, this is a team that has to hold itself accountable, and somebody's got to step up and – take this team to the next step, you know, and get them out of waddling, out of, and, you know, a lot of people will charge that with James. James has to do that. He's got to be the one, so. 
Still a long sure. season, still a lot, a lot of, a lot of ball games to go. But yeah, they, they got to get it in here. Yeah. We've talked here on this show about possibly moving Dwight Howard. I mean, do you think there's a personnel move out there that could improve this team? Because that's uh, Morey is a guy that is known. Daryl Morey, uh, general manager, is a guy that's known for pulling the trigger on trades when it needs to be done. Is that what's ailing this team? And could a midseason trade uh, fix things? I feel like no matter what happens, does bigger staff stay, or does he go? You know, or do they go out and get somebody else? And some people have their questions about bigger staff. You know, some people have the questions about Maury at this point too. Um, you know, and some people have questions. Hey, did did this team let go of Mikael too soon? You know, uh, did they not give him enough of a chance to fix it? You know, so there's a lot of questions. But as far as the trade goes, um, I wouldn't be surprised because knowing, knowing Maury and how he does his thing, but I'm not sure there's a trade to be made out there. And um, I think it's one of those things we have to kind of wait and see. Just looking specifically at the Rockets this season, uh, you know, they, they struggled definitely out of the gate. But after losing uh, seven of the previous eight in that stretch that they had in November, they've won 11 out of their last 17 games. I mean, how can this team go from being so hot on one night in which they score 88 points and that's still enough to beat the Spurs, arguably one of the best teams in the NBA Western Conference, to losing the next night against the Pelicans in, in a game in which, you know, they had all but wrapped up. I mean, why is this team so Jekyll and Hyde? That's the thing that that drives me crazy about this team, uh, the inconsistency. And you know what? And I personally, I've thought since the beginning of the season that there was a little bit too much negative noise around this team. Uh, and even before the, the Mikel firing, you know, there's a little bit too much negative noise around the team that just made the Western Conference Finals. And that's the thing that kind of, you know, tripped me out a little bit. You know, and people don't believe in Harden and Howard, and they hear that all the time. And they can say, yeah, we're going to block that out. We don't worry about that. But you hear it, and it's around you all the time. Um, I think I just saw a column earlier from somebody. I forgot where it was, but I just saw a column earlier talking about Howard and how he's declining, things of that sort. You hear that all the time. And then, of course, the Kardashian thing. We have to talk about that. Um, you have to talk about that. You know what I'm saying? Because it's there. It is around the team. Um, and I just felt like not enough great energy was around the team, positive energy, positive, positive uh, momentum, if you will, for them to uh, take a step forward. And you kind of felt like, man, it's kind of doomed from the beginning. And you talk, you talk about that Nuggets loss to open the season. I know it was just a season opener, but that kind of set the tone. So, that may be a, a big reason why this team is so Jekyll and Hyde and why they, why they just kind of been so flip-floppy and just kind of up and down. But they got to grab a hold of something and take a next step. Um, and certainly, this can certainly still be a playoff team, absolutely. But how far can they go? And if they, if they lose in the first round or even win the playoff series and lose in the second round this time, the big question is, okay, what now? Again, we've got Adam Coleman on the Weekly Brew joining us now. Uh, Adam works for the Houston Chronicle Associated Press, uh, pretty much plugged into sports here in Houston. Adam, we know as we close out 2015 that you've got some big plans this week. Can you inform the listeners on what you'll be covering this week? And I am going to be covering the Texas Bowl. I'm actually headed to something right now uh, to go check something out real quick. But I'll be covering the Texas Bowl, um, LSU, and um, Texas Tech. Huge matchup for both teams. Uh, interesting matchup uh, schematically when you talk about Fournette and his Heisman hype early in the season, kind of what he was doing. And um, this uh, the LSU offense is very run-heavy. Uh, Passing-wise, they haven't had a lot of success. And then on the flip side, you look at um, Texas Tech and, 
do what, what they've always been known to do, which is throw the ball, score a lot of points, overwhelm you offensively. And it's an interesting contrast of styles. I'm really looking forward to it. Kind of a chance for both teams to get a bowl win and, and get a launching pad into into next season. LSU has one of the top recruiting classes in the country coming in. Uh, they won national championships. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if some people picked LSU to, to win the SEC West next year, especially with Fournette coming back. And Texas Tech, you know, they kind of been, you know, just kind of a middle of the road Big 12 team, but they kind of took steps this year getting a win at Texas for the first time in like a decade, um, beating Arkansas on the road, you know, get, and they were an amazing top 10 play away from beating TCU at home. I think it was number two TCU at the time at home. So definitely this Texas Tech team has a chance to turn a corner with this win, as does this LSU team. On the topic of LSU, Adam, what do you think the future is uh, with Les Miles at LSU? You know, there had been a scare for him earlier this year where uh, people weren't sure if he'd be coming back, and um, obviously they they decided to extend his contract. But what do you think um, a team like LSU would do um, without Les Miles if he did uh, happen to leave, if his next uh, few seasons didn't impress uh, LSU boosters? Listen, I think he's a guy who – uh, in a lot of ways, deserves deserves to go out on his own accord. I think he's done enough and had enough success at LSU to be able to do that. But I understand the nature of the business. I understand the the nature of being an SEC school. That's all about football, all about winning football and winning national championships in football. So I understand that. But uh, yeah, he. I think he deserves to go out on his own accord, man. I mean, he's done enough winning. A lot of teams will kill to have him. He won't be without a job for long if he does leave. Um, and, um, again, he's got a chance to really take a step forward next year. Um, and now the, the the questions surrounding this team, of course, are, hey, what about quarterback? You guys have never had a great quarterback. Hey, what about the passing offense? You guys have never uh, been able to figure that out. Uh, when you guys going to be able to put that together, when you're going to be beat Nick Saban, when you're going to beat Alabama, you know, Ole Miss is making moves in the recruiting, you know. Um, everybody knows what Texas A&M has done in recruiting for the most part the past couple of years. So there's a lot of questions surrounding them. But, I mean, I think you have to you have to trust what he's and trust what he's done and believe in him. But at the same time, I understand why the questions came up because we live in this generation where, hey, we want instant results. We want national championships. We want it all. And when it gets stale, you start to question kind of what you have and not realize what you'll be missing when it's gone, you know. So I understand it. It's big business. It's an SEC school. It's SEC football. But give him his chance. Give him his time. And I think he's going to turn it around and take him back to where they're used to being. Very interesting. Should be a great matchup uh, Tuesday night here in Houston as LSU takes on Texas Tech. I know a lot of people are going to be at that game, but Adam, we definitely appreciate you joining us here on the Weekly Brew and being our first return guest. And we also know that you're pretty big on social media. If, if you can, before we let you go, tell the listeners how they can find you on social media. I'm on uh, at underscore Coleman Sports. Um, you can find me there. Uh, I'm mainly on Twitter a lot. Uh, my old Instagram is still up. It's um, at Cypress underscore sports, but you can follow me on there if you need to. Uh, I don't do much updating on the Instagram, but i got to get back on that. But I'm mainly on Twitter now, um, at underscore Coleman Sports. I'm everywhere. I cover a little bit of everything uh, for the Chronicle, sometimes for the AP. I'll do some freelancing as well, and uh, also for Vibe Magazine. So 
Uh, I'm a little bit everywhere, so it's been great. It's been a lot of fun, but follow me there, and uh, I appreciate it, yeah. We'll definitely enjoy having you on the show. Uh, it's great to have a uh, return guest, especially one with uh, that's plugged in with Houston sports. But, Adam, we hope you enjoy covering the Texas Bowl and uh, have a safe and happy New Year's. Appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. This past week was Christmas, and on Christmas, uh, that's that's a holiday that is known for basketball in the NBA. There were several great games on during the Christmas break, and uh, Kevin, I know that you were actually in attendance for the Spurs-Rockets game, and Rockets came out firing in that game and then proceeded to lose the following night against the New Orleans Pelicans, but what was your reaction being there and seeing the Rockets actually step up, play defense, and uh, really put it to the Spurs. You know, I went to that game with my dad. It was a, sort of a Christmas thing that we did together. I was, uh, I felt so ill and not well in the car that I considered saying like, hey, we should turn around. I need to go home or whatever. But I was like, nah, it's the Spurs. Something magical or special could happen. And then, boy, I got there, had a couple of, uh, of bottles of water. And then the way the game just started out, I was like, wow, this could really be something. Until by the end of the game, I was so into it. I had no idea how sick I was. Uh, I would find out later uh, going home that I was still very sick. But it was an amazing game. Uh, the atmosphere in Toyota Center was great. Um, was not full, sadly. Um, they had uh, Christmas holiday shirts, t-shirts, and I noticed a lot of people walking out with like 20 or 30 shirts in a roll because uh, there weren't enough people in the seats to, to, to get them all. But um, they really came out focused. I mean, we saw great performances from guys like Terrence Jones. Um, Jason Terry was probably my like MVP of the game, uh, you know, with his steals and those uh, back-to-back jumpers. And then, of course, James Harden with his uh, back-to-back threes uh, late in the fourth quarter. That was, that was really a spectacular performance, and it felt to me like it has at various points in the season, they really might be turning this thing around. That's the that's the Rockets team that I think can get into a top four seed in the West, uh, have home court advantage in the playoffs, and maybe make some noise again. And then, oh my God, they turn around and lose to the Pelicans in an embarrassing performance a night later. Um, you know, a team that is 10 and 20 now, thanks to the Rockets. Um, and it's just... It's disheartening. I don't know what to make of this team. I'm a big fan. I, you know, I want to believe in this team, but they just don't give me much to believe in. So my assessment is they play to the level of the competition. I guess you know, sort of a sports cliche. They seem to play down to bad teams and really step their game up in nationally televised games against national powerhouse teams. But um, but that's not going to do it. You need to be consistent night in and night out, like Adam Coleman alluded to. And uh, I don't know if this team has what it takes. I'm 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 personally rooting on uh, some sort of midseason personnel move by Daryl Morey to um, you know. We talked about getting Howard out, getting some fresh talent in. Uh, I think that's probably what needs to happen. And obviously, um, Jeff Van Gundy, uh, I know you're a listener. Uh, we really want you here. You know, it's time to step away from the microphone and back into the coaching game. And uh, Houston could use you, buddy. So I'm kind of curious. You had mentioned that yeah, you hope that the Rockets make some personnel changes. If you are Daryl Morey and you're starting an organization from scratch, who would you build your franchise around and why? Would James Harden be that guy? Or would you go for somebody like a, you know, a Steph Curry or LeBron James? So I'm an avid NBA 2K16 or 2K15. I mean, I played all the iterations of that game. And, and that's one of my favorite things is sort of playing GM in that game and being able to build teams from scratch because they afford you a lot of freedom. So if we're talking hypotheticals, you know, uh, you're starting, like I say, an expansion team in, I don't know, Las Vegas, and you get to choose one guy, right? Like from any team in the NBA, who's that guy you'd start with? So I, I kind of constructed my uh, my each position, which guy I would want to start a franchise with. So uh, I think the first one, point guard, 
it will be no surprise to anyone, uh, Stephen Curry, who is 27 years old. Of course, the uh, Golden State Warriors are 28-1. and one. Uh, And this guy is shooting uh, better than 50% from the floor as a point guard. Uh, Tony Parker is another guy who's doing that, obviously at a much lower level. Um, but uh, he's doing it on 19.8 shots per game, which is which is crazy. And obviously, he's leading the league in points scored, uh, 30.8. And he's a guy who shoots better than 90% from the free throw line. He's everything you want in a point guard. He gets you steals. Um, he's not necessarily a plus defender apart from that, but, but his steals really make up for his lack of size uh, and tenacity on the defensive end. And the guy's just a scoring machine. I mean, once you get to 40 feet, you really got to guard him because he can light you up from anywhere past half court. And, uh, you know, he's just an exciting guy to watch. And so I think that, you know, if I'm picking a point guard from anywhere in the league, that's the guy I'm going with. Um, what do you guys think? Is there a better point guard in the league to start a team with at this point? Keeping in mind, Curry is 27. He's had some injury issues. I mean, can you think of anybody else who'd be better? You know, I, I do think Steph Curry is definitely a guy that you want to start a franchise around. And it's kind of funny that uh, nobody really gave him credit coming out of the NBA or coming out of college basketball. Uh, a lot of folks thought that, you know, that his game would not transfer to the NBA. And obviously he's been proven wrong. He's having a remarkable season this year. But if I'm going for a guy, uh, you know, outside of Steph Curry, call me crazy. I'm thinking maybe Russell Westbrook. I mean, he's 26 years old. He's just phenomenal to watch offensively. Uh, but, you know, I, I do question some of his leadership abilities in the locker room. But he's a guy that averaged uh, last year 27 points, 5.6 rebounds, 7 dimes, 2 steals. He went on that miraculous stretch where he, he was pretty much having a, a triple-double every single game. And he almost single-handedly kept the Oklahoma City Thunder in the playoff chase without arguably the, one of the best players in the league, Kevin Durant. So if I'm going with somebody else besides Steph Curry, I'm going to go with 26-year-old Russell Westbrook. I'm not sure that he's better, but, you know, just to play uh, devil's advocate here, and, you know, I have to go with him. You know, Austin, despite uh, his terrible State Farm commercials, I'm going to have to say Chris Paul might be um, a good alternative to Stephen Curry or to Stephen Curry. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not uh, – I, I can't disagree too strongly with Kevin's pick, but um, I'd say Chris Paul would be my number two. I'm looking at the stature here. Chris Paul is actually 145 years old. Do you guys know that? Yeah, he plays like it too. That's When you're thinking about starting a franchise, you got to keep in mind how old the guy is and how long you're going to have him. Chris Paul um, has had, you know, arguably an all-world career. Um, the guy that probably is going to go into the Hall of Fame. But – He's old. You can't start a team with a guy like that. That's part of the rules of the game here. So I think we're all agreed. Steph Curry would be the guy. Russell Westbrook is uh, is another guy that's uh, in consideration, I suppose. But I think that anybody um, you know who isn't uh, inebriated is going to pick Steph Curry, at least the way he's been playing the last couple of years. You know, now moving on to uh, shooting guard. I know, Kevin, you're a huge fan of uh, James Harden and what he's done with the Rockets organization. But I'm very concerned with Harden and his lack of respect for the defensive game. I mean, he he's atrocious on defense. I think last year he stepped it up a little bit, uh, but he takes an eight, he, he he focuses more on that offensive end, which is great, great score. But I, I don't know. I, I if I'm starting an NBA franchise, I you know I'd want his scoring ability on a team, but I just don't know that he's that type of leader. If I'm going with a two guard, maybe I go with you know Jimmy Butler. He's young. He's you know 24, 25 years old, averaging more than 20 points a game. I mean, he's a guy that uh, has consistently progressed. Uh, you know, as he's been, you know, kind of slowly developing into that starting role for the past three years. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I go with Jimmy Butler. I mean, is that, is that a bad pick? 
I don't think it's a bad pick because you're talking about a guy who's a two-way player. But uh, again, if you're building a franchise from scratch, you got to get deep into this hypothetical here, right? James Harden has some deficiencies. Now, we've seen that he can play defense in the past. We've seen that from him, so we know that's a possibility. He has to be properly motivated. And you talk about leaders on a team, you don't necessarily need to draft a guy who's going to be the moral, spiritual leader of your team. You need to draft a guy who's the most talented player you can get at that position, and then maybe you fill in role players around him that are defensively minded or able to kind of um, hold him accountable. I don't think there's any anyone else to pick here other than James Harden. Uh, you know, he leads the league in minutes. Um, he gets to the free throw line more than anyone in the league. Uh, that is, uh, and that's what they're calling the game differently. I don't know if you guys have noticed this this season, um, particularly on Christmas, watching like that uh, Cleveland Golden State game. Um, it's been clear that there have been some uh, directives handed down from the league about how to officiate, and particularly how to officiate drives to the basket like, like James Harden does. So his free throw attempts are actually down, but you're still talking about a guy who um, is a league leader in getting to the line. And, uh, and, and also, he sort of stepped up his game in terms of getting other players involved. So where he was at times kind of a Carmelo Anthony-like black hole in the past, we're actually seeing his assist numbers rise a great deal this season. I've seen him come close to triple-double um, a few times, actually, in games that I've, I've gone and seen. So I like the way his game is evolving. He's a guy that can score from anywhere. And I think he's a guy who is, you know, he's 26 years old. So he's really not yet, in my opinion, at the peak of his basketball IQ, per se. So he's, he's you know, come into his own in terms of, um, you know, his, his play on the court, physical um, abilities, but he's someone who's still developing in terms of how he sees the game offensively. And so I like his ceiling. I think that if you're telling me I got to start with a two guard, uh, you know, in the NBA and I'm starting a new team, it's got to be James Harden and what he brings um, for his all around offensive game. That brings us to, you know, the small forward position. Uh, you know, I think right now the obvious choice LeBron James. I mean, I know he's he's getting up there in age, age 30. Uh, he's been in the league for what seems like 20 years, but he's still performing at a high level. I mean, last year, the Cavaliers were a team that, you know, honestly, with all the injury issues that they had, had no business competing in the NBA Finals last year. But LeBron, you know, made that series competitive. And he's a guy that is just phenomenal to watch day in and day out. And uh, he's still, if you know, one of the best players, if not the best player in the world. And I think his age is still young enough where you can, you know, be the center of a franchise for the next five or six years. But I know some people, if they're choosing a small four, they want to go with somebody, you know, kind of in their mid-20s. Kevin, is there somebody that you, if you're not going with LeBron James, that you would have as that centerpiece at the small forward position? You don't even have to rule him out. I would not pick LeBron James if I'm starting a franchise, you know, in terms of the future. Because if you're telling me I have one year of the guy... It'd be hard to pick against. I'd be between, you know, like LeBron, a Kevin Durant's another name that might come up, um, but obviously he has you know some injury concerns as well. Uh, but we're talking about building for the future. I don't think there's anyone else you can pick other than Kawhi Leonard. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's Finals MVP, uh, a guy that has radically developed his game and what he brings to the court. Again, a two-way player, and not just a two-way player, defensive MVP type, um, defensive player of the year type talent on the defensive end there. Led the league in steals uh, a season ago. He's up there at the top even this season. Um, and he's a guy who, you know, gives you a solid offensive game and at times even a superlative offensive game. Uh, he's scoring 20.9 points per game in a Spurs um system that is uh, not designed to inflate anyone's numbers. You know, they share the ball. They do a really good job doing that. And, you know, he's obviously getting you uh, three assists a game as well. So he, his all-around game, the fact that he's only 24 years old, the fact that every season we're seeing something new added to his game or a new accolade or award that he has earned, I mean, he just seems like a guy that is on uh, or in the middle of a, a you know, a meteoric rise. And um, and he's the guy that I'd want to build my franchise around if I had to start with one player at the uh, at the three um 
in terms of building a new team. I definitely agree. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, I mean, first off, Spurs have been miraculous in terms of an organization and drafting players. And I, I kind of kick myself knowing that the Rockets had the possibility to draft Leonard and uh, did not do it. But I think that organization itself is set up greatly for the long run. But Kawhi Leonard, uh, he was remarkable last year on the defensive end, except I think he kind of fell apart a little bit uh, during the postseason. I mean, his numbers weren't quite his numbers weren't quite up to you know his regular season numbers. And I'm wondering if that means that, you know, people were starting to key on him during the postseason. I mean, his field goal percentage was down, especially on the offensive side. I'm wondering if when that pressure situation actually arises, is he going to be there? That's an extremely limited sample size, first of all. Uh, Second of all, you know, again, he's a young guy. So there are a lot of guys we've seen um, not handle the pressure of being the guy very well and then rebound and kind of learn from it. So I don't think that those postseason numbers are necessarily anything to worry about, particularly since, you know, he was the finals MVP not that long ago as well. He's a guy that can deliver postseason, preseason, regular season. I think he's a guy you want leading that team. And he's so young still. I mean, just 24 years old, he's getting better every season and he's already so good. His ceiling, I think, um, is kind of unclear because he plays in that Spurs system where there is a lot of um, ball movement, where there's a big focus on defense, not necessarily on like uh, astronomical offensive numbers. So I think that it's not going to become apparent to everyone how good Kawhi Leonard is uh, for some time yet, but it's going to be clear, um, you know, in not too many years that he is one of the best players in the NBA and uh, certainly a guy you'd want to have if you were starting a franchise. Yeah, Kevin, I, I'd say opposite Kawhi Leonard, I think you're, you're the next guy up is Kevin Durant. Um, he is a little bit older, and I think if you're going to start a franchise, uh, you don't want a guy who's necessarily still developing his game. Um, injury, injury concerns aside, I think um, I think Durant is an excellent player, and he's only 27, so I mean, he's still got plenty of uh, ball time left. Um, I, I think. It, just from that perspective in terms of starting a franchise. I disagree. In terms of starting a franchise, I mean, this hypothetical, it's a fun game to play. You do need a guy who is still developing, who hasn't reached his ceiling. If you draft a guy who's at his ceiling, he's got nowhere to go but down. So I, I just philosophically disagree with the idea that you want a guy who's fully formed. I think you also want to be able to coach up a guy and sort of mold his potential into what you want to do with a franchise going forward. But of course, it's an imaginary game. I mean, you don't need to split hairs over it, but, uh, but Kawhi Leonard's my pick at the three. If we're starting a franchise, I think if you take any position in the entire league and the entire association there's probably one player in particular that everyone can agree on that's Anthony Davis a power forward of the New Orleans Pelicans I mean the kid's just 21 years old uh, you know last year he averaged nearly 24 points a game 11 rebounds two assists I mean the guy can do it all since he was drafted from Kentucky I mean he's just been uh, the face of the franchise or the unibrow of the franchise if you will and uh, he's such a remarkable talent and I you know I, I'm interested to see if New Orleans can keep him uh, once his rookie contract expires and uh, you know I think he's a guy that a lot of people in the, in the NBA are going to want to play with I mean he's just so versatile on what he can do on both the offensive side and the defensive side. And uh, I, I think uh, I read a statistic somewhere that said that uh, with Anthony Davis on the bench, New Orleans is the equivalent of a 19-win squad. And it's just remarkable to me. I mean, I know in baseball we have the war stat, the wins above replacement. And Anthony Davis is such a valuable component to that Pelicans team. And, you know, if I'm a, you know, a GM and I have my pick of any single one person in the league, Anthony Davis is, with, is my guy without question. Uh, I would say that uh, if you're, I mean, any guy, you got any guy in the NBA, uh, it's got to be at the four, Donatus Montiunas. Uh, I mean, he's really come on since he's come back from injury. I mean, the guy's uh, a radical talent. 
no, I'm, I'm kidding. That's uh, If I were a homer, that's what I would say. No, Anthony Davis, of course. I mean, there's really no discussion to be had here. I mean, you can make the argument that any player at any position, this would be the guy. He's 22 years old. You talk about the eye test in sports. He is a freak. He passes it in every conceivable sense. The combination of athleticism, size, talent, I think drive. I hear good things about his um, his gym habits and, and, and the way he is in the locker room. Uh, and then you look at his numbers. He's a guy whose numbers are improving in every single way every year. He's added the three-point shot. Sort of. He's shooting 32% from three. He probably shouldn't shoot as much as he does from there. But he's a guy that has some range. I mean, you see him make long twos all the time, contested. You can't even really contest a shot of his because of his height. He's like a Dirk sort, but if you add in a lot of the athleticism that Dirk never really had, he is everything to everyone. He is a destroyer of worlds, and it is almost sad for me to see him withering away there in New Orleans uh, with a team around him that can't really push him uh, where he needs to go. I mean, he's a guy that you want to see do great things in the playoffs, and I would love to see him on a a better team. I'd love to see him on the Rockets, for that matter, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. He is uh, uh, the definition of untradeable. But uh, yeah, you talk about a guy who rebounds well. uh, He's 11 uh, rebounds a game right now, um, and he also uh, scores well. You know, 23.6 points per game there's nobody else playing at his level and he's been hobbled at times this season. So I don't think there's any argument. Certainly don't need to discuss anyone else at the four. I don't think Anthony Davis would be the guy to start a franchise with. Now, what about the five? The game has evolved uh, within the past five or 10 years, especially in the NBA. You don't really have, you know, that many dominant centers. I mean, I, I think right now the Rockets feel that they have one of the best centers in the game, Dwight Howard, but he's, you know, head and shoulders below, you know, a guy like DeMarcus Cousins. But if you're an NBA franchise, do you have to have, you know, a true big man, a true center down low, or can you get away with somebody like Chris Bosh or somebody with that size and kind You've of stolen my thunder you know, once again? Uh, I would I mean, say you have that to, have to your cousins? point, I don't think there's a, anyone anywhere in the world that follows the NBA that would put Chris Bosh on this list at this point, as old as he is, the injury concerns he's had, um, and and just the level of game that he plays. Although I love Chris Bosh, he's he was one of my favorite players to watch, um, you know, over the past few years. But he's he's older now. Yeah, it's got to be Cousins. So you look at Cousins; uh, he's 25, so he's not a child anymore. He's had some experience in the league. He's banged around. There's no one else that plays like him. His body type, he is, you talk about the game evolving, you can't evolve the game past a guy like DeMarcus Cousins and what he brings physically and talent-wise. I mean, there's no amount of evolution of the game that's going to make him uh, less valuable. He is an incredible talent. He is a head case, and I'm acknowledging that. I would still pick him if I had to pick a player at the center position to start a franchise with, given all that I know about DeMarcus Cousins' issues. Um, it would still have to be him. So you look at him, you know, 24.5 points a game this season. That's that's spectacular. That puts you in the top echelon of players. He's a big guy that shoots free throws well. He's a 75% free throw shooter, um, 73 over his career, 75 this season. Uh, and then he rebounds 10.8 a game. Uh, and then he also passes well, 2.8 assists a game, 1.2 steals per game, 1.4 blocks. His game uh, is solid or better in virtually every conceivable category. And he does things that no one else can do. I don't think, uh, you said head and shoulders. Uh, he's, he's more than head and shoulders above what Dwight Howard can do. This guy is a superlative talent. And one of my favorite players in the game, too. I mean, just watching him, he's exciting. I love the pairing of him and Rondo. It's been really fun to watch them kind of um, mesh this season, even though both are clearly head cases and, and guys that you know have some concerns uh, from a character or a leadership or um, maturity standpoint. But uh, yeah, Cousins, Boogie Cousins is the guy. And just in terms of 
guys I would want, the talents I would want to be the general manager of and to go out and watch every single night, I might even pick Boogie over Anthony Davis just because I love his game and the way that he's sort of a throwback um, and the way his game is still evolving too. So yeah, Boogie Cousins. So my five, Steph Curry, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, and Boogie Cousins. Uh, I mean, is there anybody else that you could even talk about at the five? I honestly don't think so. Unless we're going back in the retro, I don't think there's anyone that you can uh, chat about as a center. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. In the last few podcasts, we've discussed a little bit on the movie side. We've had a little bit of music. And one movie that we actually spoke about in our last podcast was Concussion. And uh, this is one that critics are calling, quote, a feel-good movie, which one, I think, is completely bothersome. But it actually produced pretty porous box office numbers this past week, actually falling behind Alvin and the Chipmunks. And for something that had so much potential, it almost fell flat on its face. I'll be honest. I did not know there was an Alvin and the Chipmunks movie that was out. Uh, and for it to, with all the buzz surrounding it, I mean, you saw commercial after commercial. Commercials during NFL primetime, you know, it's it's the thing that's going to take on the NFL. It's this big story. And then how big of a story was it really? It came in at number six for the weekend that it opened. Uh, and granted, you're obviously going against Star Wars. Um, but, you know, Star Wars, it's been out a couple of weeks. And uh, some movies I've never heard of uh daddy's home i'm not familiar with it also beat it by a wide wide margin so um it did beat point break this is according to uh an nbc sports uh, report that i'm reading here so that remake of point break uh, it did better than that and actually opened to more theaters um it really, really bad. And they're actually comparing it to uh, Draft Day. Uh, I think that they both of them bombed. Both of them bombed approximately as badly as one another. Um, I guess one painted the NFL in a better light. But this kind of confirms, you know, to toot our own horn, what we've been saying about it, which is that it is a poorly done movie. It's melodramatic. It wasn't anything special. Certainly wasn't explosive. Um, and it didn't contain any real threat to the NFL. And we're seeing that play out because even if it had had threatening information in the NFL, uh, nobody's going to see it. So it's not going to make much of an impact and uh you know i just like to say we we called it here first uh, with our early screening and our review kevin just to add to that i i think you know regardless of whether if concussion was a little bit better from a movie making perspective i i still think we'd see uh pretty paltry numbers at the box office and that's you know uh, has nothing uh in short to do with um this country's love of football and the fact that uh, it is america's sport um so i i you know it's i i do think that the the, the cte crisis and the things that are happening in football um, are, are definitely going to change it as we, you know, in major ways we had in the next 20, 25 years looking at the sport. But I, I don't think it's going to get less popular as time goes on. I mean, um, just looking at the numbers for the NFL, uh, ticket sales, uh, subscriptions to uh, cable providers that provide all the games, um, it's, it's not something that's going away. And so, yeah, I, I have to agree. People said the same thing about boxing, uh, you know, about half a century ago, that it was never going to be uh, anything other than this country's most popular sport. It was beloved. It was ran deep into our consciousness and it really spoke to what it meant to be an American. And I think that football is doomed, just like boxing was doomed because of the harm that it potentially does to people uh, and the violence of the game. It, this is an evolving culture, and there are enough people that care uh, enough about these issues that football has run into. Um, I think football is at its ceiling. I think it's it's never going to be more popular popular than it is in here in the next, you know, five, 10 years, and that we'll see it um, evolve and change uh, and and eventually fade out in terms of popularity, maybe settling somewhere into what boxing is now, which is, you know, virtually a non-entity in the minds of most American sports fans. To that point, I, I think when football becomes uh, less entertaining to watch, which will invariably be linked to the talent that's on the field, 
um, it will decrease in popularity. Uh, there's there's no there's no doubt. I, I think what what will be really interesting to see and something that I, I pay close attention to is how the NFL as an entity responds to all this. Uh, how do they keep not only make the game safer but keep youth involvement high, um, which is what they need to uh, keep the sport going. You know, keep keep it going through um, you know high school to college then to to the pros. So. Um, be, paying close attention to what what they do um, because they they certainly have no lack of money to make something happen at least here in the short term closing time again this has been episode 22 of the weekly brew podcast and we've had uh, quite a special 2015 and we hope to continue to bring you great you know sports political and social commentary as we move into 2016 but as always we encourage you to leave comments and feedbacks on itunes very simple just go there leave us a five-star review tell us what you like and what you don't like and uh, this past week with it being the christmas holidays we were a little bit light on reviews and kevin uh, if you want to go ahead and tell the listeners about the one review that we did have this week all right so the jury's out on whether or not i feel disappointed uh you've told me to sort of uh you know hold it in because people are busy during the christmas season i get that so i'm not going to express my disappointment in you guys for only one review i'll just take it for what it is uh not look a christmas gift horse in the mouth but uh, this one is actually titled austin is my favorite by bu Kristen. so is there a baylor connection there it's hard to say uh thanks guys for making every week enjoyable the commentary is interesting and an easy listen austin is my favorite she reiterates jeremy would be higher on the list if he texted back Okay, so there's some sort of a connection there. I feel like this is not even legitimate. And Kevin isn't bad for a ginger. Whoa. Okay, so I'd like to inform people. I do have red hair, but that word is not okay. That is a pejorative word. Um, That's our word, and I would appreciate it if people didn't use that um, hatefully against me like that. We'll we'll stick with redhead uh, and not use uh, hateful language like that. Um, but she hashtagged it with we all make mistakes. I don't know if the mistake there is me being a redhead. Uh, I find this deeply insulting, and actually I'm back to feeling bad about the reviews. <laughs> well, I'm not sure who BU Kristen is exactly, but uh, Kristen, I, I do appreciate the shout-out saying that I am your favorite host. Uh, uh, Kevin, I, you know, not everyone can be a, a huge fan of yours, so uh, it, it's okay. We'll, we'll work on that this week. And I don't need to be people's favorite host. People think uh, and have told me that they think that's the case. I, I just need to be your favorite podcast or even a podcast that you listen to. I don't need the validation. I'm very very proud of myself and I like myself a great deal. If that doesn't come across, I'd be surprised. But uh, but just keep getting those reviews in and I'm happy to read them even if they are insulting and bigoted <laughs> like that one was. Strong words there. But uh, yeah, we definitely we definitely want you to leave us comments and feedback and uh, you know whether it's constructive or uh, if there is criticism, we want it to be constructive. We want you to tell us you know exactly how we can improve because as Kevin alluded to, we want this to be a podcast that you come to. We want this to be a podcast that is uh, well-respected and uh, we've definitely tried our best for the past 22 episodes to make this a good podcast and we have great plans looking forward uh, to 2016 and uh, kind of what the future holds so we're looking forward to that and you know as always we are on social media uh, you can again search weekly brewcast on Facebook Twitter and Instagram and we're gonna have a big announcement actually coming up for you at the start of 2016 something that we're really excited about uh, you know in terms of moving this podcast forward but uh, guys uh, it's been a pleasure uh, you know said this at the top of the show it's been a pleasure you know getting together each week and you know just chatting about life chatting about the podcast and the issues that you know impact us and uh, i hope that uh you know that we've been a positive role in uh you know making your whether it's a daily commute better or making your workout better you know we thank you for uh listening to us in 2015 and i would just like to reiterate what austin said we want to be the podcast that you come to 
So take that to the bank, and I don't want to reword that at all. That's perfect as is. Well, guys, it's been a great 2015. This has been episode 22. Again, we thank Adam Coleman for joining us on the Weekly Brew Podcast, our first repeat guest. And uh, guys, it's been a pleasure, and uh, looking forward to getting back and doing this again in 2016. And in the meantime, for my co-host this week, Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton, I'm Austin Statton. We'll see you next year. been listening to the weekly brew 